Yeah, so thank you very much for a nice introduction. It is bizarre, we have an awful lot in common. And yeah, and thank you everyone for welcoming me into your worship community and allowing me to get involved in certain things and to speak to you here today. And yeah, just echo what Nathan said about Christmas. It's, well, it's less than a week away and it's a very stressful time. I myself this week had two exams <laughs> in systematic theology and in Jesus and the Gospels. So I know in this stressful time, can be very distracting, particularly with COVID, and we can kind of forget, with everything that's been thrown at us, the true, true reason that we are celebrating on Christmas. So I just want to begin our time together in prayer. Almighty God, creator, ruler of all, we come this day to worship you, prepare our hearts to receive your word, and lift up our spirits as we spend time together in your presence. So that when we leave this place of worship, we may feel renewed and refreshed. Loving God, we thank you for your constant guidance in our lives and for all the ways you encourage, challenge, strengthen and renew us. Thank you that we still can hear your quiet words whispering to us in the silence of our own hearts. We thank you that here, through song, prayer, preaching, worship, mission, service, we're able to hear your voice. Through the fellowship of this community, we can feel your presence. We thank you that when we see the world around us, we're seeing you. When we hear the birds singing, we're hearing you. When we feel the wind blow, we are feeling you. In this time of Advent, we thank you most for your son, Jesus Christ. His birth, his life, his work, his teaching, his death, his resurrection. Through these things you touch us and your Holy Spirit inspires us, empowers us each and every day. We thank you for the times when we've been lost and have felt your hand take hold of us and lead us forward. Through all life's difficulties and problems and illnesses, we thank you for your healing touch. Be with us now, directing our ways so that we may glorify you in all we say and all we do. Amen. So today we're going to have a look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. If you want to flip to it in your Bibles or look at it on your phone, please do that. It's one of the best known messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Uh, we might be familiar, it's in Matthew chapter 4, just before the start of Jesus' ministry. Uh, he quotes the first two verses, and the first song that we had today uh, has a passage from that, started with a passage from that. So let's read the Word of God. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he has humbled the lands of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, 
You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So amazing, amazing words. Just wow. It's crazy to think the prophecy is written 750 years before the birth of Jesus. God's sovereign plan to redeem his people, written before the beginning of times, revealed to this prophet in Isaiah. But 750 years, quite a long time. 750 years for them to wait for that prophetic word to be fulfilled, for Christ Jesus to come and for that first Christmas to come to us. So let's just have a quick look at what's happening around 750 years before Jesus. So verse 1 gives us a bit of that background. There's a new Assyrian king, and he's called Tiglath-Pileser III. Catchy, very catchy. He introduced this advanced civil, military, political system to the Assyrians, and they are kicking butt. They've, they've subjugated most of the Near East, including Israel and all their neighbors, and he is on fire. So we see him appearing in the Bible a few times. He exacts a thousand talents of silver from King Menahem in Second Kings, and then he defeats his successor, King Pekah, and then he actually installs a puppet king over Israel in Hosea. So this is the time that Isaiah is living in. This is the time that he's writing this prophecy. Uh, so the verse actually refers to two separate campaigns in 734 and 732. You have to forgive me, I'm interested in this sort of stuff. Uh, and that leads to the separation of the northern, eastern, western regions. They're the ones that are named. Um, and they're all being transformed into Assyrian provinces. Uh, the faith of the Israelites is being sorely tested. <laughs> has God abandoned them? You know, they ask that a lot. And has he given his land to his enemies? The land is just so important to the Israelites. So in this context, we get the poem in verses 2 to 7. And here we have Isaiah making this wonderful confession of his faith in the future of his people. God intends to reunite them, to awaken them to a new life under a glorious ruler. This is all based on God's salvation plan for salvation before the beginning of time, for his glorification. He will fulfill his promises and bring into being this empire, united and at peace under a second David. So at the particular moment he's writing it down, it's thought that um, tiglath Pileser. It's the last time I'm going to say it, thank goodness. <laughs> Has just, he's just died. Uh, so all his punishing campaigns on Israel and the region are coming to an end. You know, his successor wants to make a name for himself, wants to get out there, expand the, the borders of the kingdom. So the heat feels like it's off. And Isaiah writes this, this prophecy, but his language and imagery isn't saying what's going to happen right now. It's just, this is the moment. 
It suggests he just doesn't expect this all to happen straight away. He's envisaging this messianic age, like beyond his own lifetime. And the unfolding of the whole prophecy is gradual. The oppression of Israel does end in the fall of the Assyrian capital in, of Nineveh in 1612 in BC. That's all alluded to through this prophecy. But as it's Advent and all, and nearly Christmas, I want to look at a bit deeper at what kind of king has been promised, at what kind of king we received on Christmas Day. So the passage starts verse 6, for to us a child is born. And that's the, that's the start of the song that we sang, first song tonight, uh, today, sorry. So the whole of the verse is just rich in this royal protocol, originating probably from Egypt. And the verse, along with some other royal hymns, like Psalm 2, it's not sung at the birth of a royal heir, but at his coronation. So when he, his succession to the throne, so at that point, he's to become a new person. He's God's adopted son. He's God's representative on earth. And to represent that change, he's given his throne names and Isaiah lists them for us, he says, and we'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So names are important, right? We've, we've been hearing about them this month, you know, maybe not so much now, I know, but in the Bible, you know, you get, even now, sometimes you get a sense of history from someone's name, for who you're descended from. Here in Scotland, lots of Max and Mix, so that's son of, so legacy of our clan system long ago. And they can give a sense of place, like where you're from, where do you belong? I went to university here in Dundee and, and met people from all around the world. And you know, their names were rich with meaning in their home countries. People who were natives of those countries could tell what tribe they were part of, where in the country they were from, what religion they were, all from, from their name. I also, <laughs> I also met a girl from Glasgow whose second name was Pratt. And I think if she'd been born in Dundee, our parents wouldn't have called her Emma because Emma Pratt is just, it always raises a smile when I hear a Dundonian say it. It's brilliant. Where you're from can, your name can tell us where you're from, even in Scotland, not from Dundee. So in the Bible, we see Matthew and Luke start their gospels with long lists of names intended to show us who Jesus is who he's descended from, what that means to us. They show us he's the Davidic king who reigns on David's throne and over his whole kingdom. The very one that Isaiah is talking about in the passage that we want to discuss today. Names also give a sense of character in the Bible and God changes people's names. In Genesis 17, we see Abram's name changed to Abraham. Subtle, but exalted father to father of the nations. And he changes Sarai's name to Sarah, from princess to my princess. He changes Jacob's name to Israel in Genesis 32 to seal a promise he has with him. And he changes Simon's name to Peter, meaning rock. And later in the gospel, we learn, on this rock, I'll build my church. Names matter to God. He tells people what to call their children. As we're doing Advent this, this year, we'll have heard the angel tells Joseph to call his son Jesus. So that's the Greek form of Joshua, meaning salvation. The Lord saves. He was called Christ. Not because he's the son of Joseph Mary Christ, but because it means something. 
In his lifetime, he's called Jesus, son of Joseph, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene. He's first called Christ by his apostles and the gospel writers profess that in their first verses. He is the Messiah, the anointed one. So let's have a quick look at these names that Isaiah gives him, gives to that promised king, and see how well they fit our Lord Jesus, like the best clothes ever made. First, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. <laughs> wonderful indeed. So throughout Advent, we've been hearing all about these wonderful circumstances of his birth. The wonderful miracle of his conception in a virgin's womb. The wonder of angels announcing it to Mary, to Joseph, to shepherds. The wonder of creation declaring it with a new star in the sky with the Magi following that star to his birthplace. The true wonder of a baby, minutes, hours old, being worshipped, adored, glorified, given gifts by complete strangers. But we here in this room also know the wonder of his life, his wonderful teaching, his wonderful miracles, his wonderful death and resurrection, the wonder of everything he did for us. He's the most wondrous person to have ever lived. And his counsel, his counsel's the best we can receive. He guides us, he comforts us, he empowers us. He's the king that needs no outside advice. He's got his own plans that encompass the whole world, all of creation, throughout all time. He doesn't make mistakes, and his justice personified. I'd say, wonderful counselor, yes, that is Jesus, our Lord. And he'll be called Mighty God. So our invincible champion, champion of the oppressed. Jesus is divine. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the word made flesh. He's the alpha, the omega, the one who is, who was, who is to come, the almighty. He is God, creator of heaven and earth. All creations from him, nothing is beyond his power. We see Matthew in, verse, in chapter 28. Uh, we see him tell us Jesus has been given all power in heaven and earth, all authority on heaven and earth. But here in this time of Advent, we're humbled still as this almighty God comes to earth as a helpless baby. And he becomes Emmanuel, God with us. Why does he come? To break the power of sin and darkness to bring light to our lives. He is our God mighty, yes, mighty to save, mighty in our lives, mighty God, yes, that is Jesus our Lord. And he'll be named Everlasting Father, his enduring, unfailing source of fatherly love for us, his everlasting and righteous rule. We're told Jesus, He's the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He's above, beyond, outside time, before time. The Son wasn't born. The Son eternally existed. The child was born. The Son was given, given to us on Christmas Day. His kingdom will have no end. Everlasting Father, yes, that's Jesus. And he will be called Prince of Peace. We're here in Judges, chap 
chapter 6, verse 24, Gideon, he builds a, an altar and he calls it, the Lord is peace, Yahweh is, is peace. But peace isn't just an absence of war. It's all creation, human beings, plants, animals, everything, following their destiny undisturbed. It can only exist when all creatures recognize God, live and act according to his will. In Jesus, we have seen God. We recognize God. He came to give us peace. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's be clear, no Jesus, no peace. Jesus offers us complete peace in our lives. Peace with God, the peace of God, peace from God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah starts his poem, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. <laughs> Man, that's us. We're those people, the, light of, the brightest light ever, the light of the world, Jesus our Savior. So for 2,000 years ago, the light of the world came to us, the Son of God. He ends his poem. The zeal of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. Jesus, he came to fulfill God's sovereign plan and free mankind from all that bound them, from the darkness in which we walked. He lived a perfect life, and he was crucified, then defeated Satan and his armies, and rose again, all in accordance with God's sovereign plan. As we celebrate Christmas on Saturday morning, let's all reflect on the Jesus that we have. Wonderful counselor, yes, our wonderful counselor the best guide and advisor anyone could ever have. No ulterior motives, only our best interest in his heart. This person is constantly available to us, constantly, through our prayer and in our lives. Seek and you shall receive. So let's remember to try and seek his counsel in this time of Advent over our lives. Mighty God, all-powerful, king of creation, nothing's beyond him. When we come to him in that prayer, let's never doubt his power over every situation in our lives. He can change everything. Everlasting Father, our everlasting Father, the first and the last eternal God beyond time, his fatherly love for us is endless, limitless love. When we pray to him this Advent season, let's feel the love he gives us. And Prince of Peace, Peacemaker, Sustainer, Fountain, Endless Peace comes from Jesus. When you come to him in prayer, know that peace in your heart. So maybe I challenge each of us to focus on one of those names. When this Advent, when we pray, each aspect of God's character revealed to us comes central to our Christmas celebration. We need to feel the joy, the hope, the peace, the love that that knowledge brings to us. So let's pray together once again. Heavenly Father, your earthly mother spoke, the earthly mother of your son spoke these words when she was pregnant. Let us speak and feel them now. 
My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. All glory and honour is yours, God. On this day, on Christmas Day, on all days, let us live to glorify you, our lives an offering in your service. Lord God, bless us with your peace, a peace that centres us in your love and secures who we are, guiding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord God, bless us with your joy, the joy of life in you, the joy of your victory. Joy is your gift to us in the birth of Jesus. Lord God, bless us with your love. You who made love, who is love, whose love is all and more, love is your gift to us in the birth of Jesus. Lord God, bless us with your hope. Hope is the mark of your sovereignty of our liberation. Hope is your gift to us in the birth of Jesus. Sustain us through this Advent season. Help us to feel close to you in our hearts and in our minds. Emmanuel, God with us, always. May we honour you this Advent and Christmas season. Shine your light on the city of Dundee and the nation of Scotland so many more people can come to know and love you. Amen. <laughs>